With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Oh yes, hello my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. As soon as we start going, it's a big show, it's a fun show, and the train knows it too because it has to make its immediate appearance. Hayden, you know, we've been talking about the same stuff for months. Best balls, ADPs, movement, draft analysis. But guess what? It feels like football season, doesn't it? This is the first show that it feels like the NFL season is here. And we had last week was kind of a preview of all the nonsense that happens in the five, six weeks before (laughs) the NFL. We have like all the contract disputes. We have players that don't want to show up to training camp. We have injuries all the stuff changes so fast. And I think like the most important part about fantasy is I think like pick like 101 to 250 in ADPs, those guys just move like crazy. And then you have like two big storylines like Aaron Rodgers situation. Uh, so we need the chat to make sure that Aaron Rodgers news doesn't break. We'll need your help <laughs> in the middle of the show. We might have to go to breaking news for the Packers. Last week was really fun. Uh, we had an emergency Daryl Henderson slash K maker show. We had an emergency Michael Thomas slash Saints show. Uh, If you're new here, welcome. We love having you here on the Underdog Football Show. Like and subscribe down below. Um, And yes, over this next month, if you want to win your fantasy football league, that's what Hayden and I are here to do. We're going to make it more fun for you. We're going to help you win money either on Underdog with Best Ball, deposit anything, get a free 25 bucks, or on that one home league that you care most about at home. But before we get into that, Hayden, lots of big picture stuff. Again, one hour today 32 questions. We're going to alternate back and forth. AFC teams four, then NFC teams four, back and forth. This is going to be a great one. It's also a good exercise in, in brevity for me and you. And that's something I think you and I need practice in. Yeah, every show is it's only going to be 30 minutes and it's like an hour and 15 later. So <laughs> this will not be any different. All right. I have a clock. We'll go first 30, first half, maybe take a break halfway through. Ask some questions that you're getting in the chat. So be sure to leave those in the chat as we go across talking to you, Adam, you, Elvis, you, sir, all you good people joining us today. All right, Hayden, we started off with maybe last year's most surprising team in terms of taking it to the next level, the Buffalo Bills. Besides Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, who is a fantasy starter? So the first game we'll go to the, the running backs. The Buffalo Bills were dead last in running back half PPR points per game last year. They were 31st in fantasy usage. So this is not an offense that uses the running backs. And then to make matters worse, you have Devin Singletary and and Zach Moss being a complete counterbalance to each other. Zach Moss basically only played in uh, rushing situations near the goal line. That even happened in the playoff games uh, when Zach Moss was, was healthy. 
Devin Singletary is the pass catching back. So if those guys are going to be splitting time and the Bills don't use their running backs, it's going to be hard for those guys to be like a top 24 running back. So that's one storyline to look at for training camp. The second one is the wide receiver rotation. Cole Beasley, I think, is going to be out there still. They gave Emmanuel Sanders a $6 million contract. When we watched the tape between Emmanuel Sanders and Gabe Davis, we were on team Emmanuel Sanders. But those are like the two things we have to look for is who's going to be the X receiver. Uh, is it going to be Emmanuel Sanders or Gabe Davis taking over the John Brown role? And then is Zach Moss or Devin Singletary going to separate from each other? Because if not, you're going to have a bunch of fringe fantasy starters, but are you going to have actually have a uh, every week starter? And dare I throw even Matt Breida's name into that conversation uh, as as we move along. Hayden, big question for me. Are, are we buying the bills at the top? You know, how often do you want to buy – something at, at the top of it, at its peak is this nba top shot in last february you know because josh allen is going as the quarterback too uh, stefan diggs is going as the wide receiver too gabriel davis is going ahead of those names and cole beasley and emmanuel sanders that we're talking about as wide receiver 59 could it be that we're investing in this team at the wrong time because we have a bit of a fear of missing out prior to last offseason i don't think so just because the bills the coaching staff it, it remains intact and i think that they're going to be super pass heavy still uh, Josh Allen have a little bit lower. Maybe he doesn't, he isn't as productive in the red zone. I think seven of his nine inside the five carries went for touchdowns last year. Maybe Zach Moss gets one or two of those. And then he becomes into the flex consideration and half PPR. I think the big values here are Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders Buy the dip on Cole Beasley. They can't cut him. There would be a grievance by the NFL PA for the, the anti-vax stuff. I think he's going to be out there. Emmanuel Sanders, I think, is going to be a starter. He did not fall off a cliff these last couple of years. He's still been an 8.9 yards per target player in each of the last three seasons. Yes, he's older. Yes, Gabe Davis is the younger player. That is not the only stats that matter is age. The, there are some other things that go into play here, and that's why I think that Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are my favorite fantasy picks here. All right. Take a breath, Hayden. I'll go next. Miami Dolphins. It's easy to make all these questions about the quarterback position, but I think this one's obvious <clears throat> with Miami. What step does Tua take this season? I mean, we've seen him handled differently last year than almost any other top 10 quarterback in, in recent memory. He was pulled from the Raiders game. It was pulled from the Denver Broncos game. Uh, actually, in my head, before I went back and revisited those, Hayden, I, I thought he was pulled from more contests than that. But again, we know that he was immediately reinserted as a starter. And we also know that he played with absolute nobodies last season. I mean, everyone else does their job in terms of maybe a slightly improved offensive line. Will Fuller, who was e easily the, the best skill position player on this team period. Um, you obviously have the Jalen Waddle of a magnificent playmaker in the middle of the field, um, co-play callers to create space. We've seen Tua show a willingness to, you know, allow pass catchers to win at the catch point. He's also a quick timing thrower as well. If all that works, then maybe you have as good the defense can be and the offense can be maybe just one step behind it this season. They need two to make a second-year sleep or uh, advancement to compete with the Buffalo Bills. Last year when I watched Tua, it was compounding things. It was partially his leg injury. It was partially the really bad offensive line, which has right. not changed. The offensive line is going to be bottom three. And then those two things probably played into him not being aggressive enough. And that was like the one – Thing that caught my eye when I was watching him he was still very accurate accuracy was not the problem here it was just a willingness to throw the ball downfield luckily you add Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller like it doesn't get much better than that on intermediate crossing routes you have two complete separators you have a jump ball especially specialist in Devontae Parker I think the only fatal flaw here potentially is that offensive line it's like really yeah. really really bad it is and I think only one or two other teams 
have co-play callers in the NFL. So yeah. that is one little storyline that we'll track as we go along. All right. What's the plan in the red zone for the Patriots? Is Cam Newton still going to be a factor? So the first step is Mac Jones or Cam Newton going to be the starter? Josh and I think that it's eventually going to be Mac Jones, potentially from week one. We'll see what happens in training camp. But there's also the scenario where what if Cam Newton is like the goal line guy? And last year, 73% of the Patriots inside the five carries went to Cam Newton. 73%. If that happens again, even if Mac Jones is a starter, that's going to be the one fatal flaw for Damian Harris. I am very confident that Damian Harris is the starter. I yes. think he's going to be one of the most efficient runners of the game. We're talking about a top three, top five offensive line last year that's what they were this year i think there could even be better than last year i think that damian harris is the best rusher on the team but it's what is going to happen in the red zone here if cam newton's going to be the goal line back in these type of situations that's bad for damian harris that's bad for the tight ends that's bad for nelson aguilar that's bad for jacoby myers so it's two parts here it's who's going to win the starting quarterback job and then is cam newton going to be some goal line specialist type of guy yep thanks for the two-part question really appreciate you uh i will say with this offense, like Cam doesn't have to just take one step or two steps. He has to be like a totally different player than he was last year because that offense was broken. They had nothing that they could have rhythm with. And so Josh McDaniels had to manufacture everything. But talking about rushing, and again, this backs up why I think Damian Harris may be one of, if not the most undervalued players in fantasy football this season. Last year, in terms of rushing yards per game, the Baltimore Ravens, the Tennessee Titans, and then the New England Patriots. That's it. Those other two teams were winning games, and we know that like that's the core of their identity. It's amazing to me that the Patriots were still able to be top three in rushing yards per game last season, despite not being a good football team. So if they take a step forward defensively and the offensive line, and if just Mac Jones is a better play, which I think is absolutely possible and he shows them the preseason, it wouldn't be shocking at all if they had another 10, 15, 20 more rushing yards per game for the Patriots this season, just because they're going to win more games. Yeah, Damian Harris, that's where the upside is for him, is he didn't have any goal line opportunities just because of Cam Newton. So if Cam Newton's not going to be involved, that's where Damian Harris is like a top 15, top 20 running back season in his range of outcomes. So something to watch how the, the Patriots are going to use them inside the red area uh, when, we, when we're watching these preseason games. Close out the AFC East with the New York Jets. To me, a top three unknown in the NFL is this team because the question beckons, will the product be as good as the pieces that they are putting together. I mean, you have a potential star left tackle in Makai Becton, and that might happen sooner rather than later. You traded up for another guard to play right next to him in Elijah Vera Tucker. You spent the number two overall pick on a quarterback. Now your OC is the younger brother of the Packers head coach who has, in the last few years, worked underneath arguably the best play caller in the NFL in Cal Shanahan, a wide receiver who's making just behind Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams money per year, number seven right tackle money, top 11 center money. I mean, the Jets, the pieces are there, Hayden. We just haven't seen it all together yet, so we don't know what the finished product is going to look like. So there's a lot of things going on with the Jets. First of all, is Zach Wilson ready, going from one of the softest schedules in all of college football last year, immediately to the pros as an undersized guy. If he's able to work this system. It's pretty familiar system as to what he was used to at BYU. That's the first step. And then the second step is what is the rotation at wide receiver? What is the rotation at running back? We have all these question marks. I think that the jets are the team that we're going to get way more training camp information. I think that some of these guys, ADP is going to climb. I don't know which ones for me, it goes back to Corey Davis. They gave him all that money. Like you said, I think that if anyone's going to be breaking out here, it's going to be Corey Davis. But like you said, and you keep mentioning every single uh, podcast we have, Josh, 
is the ADPs are really, really low. So there's going to be some values on this team. We should have to figure out which ones. Just one player in the top 100, and that's Michael Carter at this time. All right, AFC East done. Over to the NFC East, Hayden. Dallas Cowboys, who is healthy? So that's step one, because last year nobody was healthy. Uh, Jerry Jones yesterday yesterday said that he thought Dak Prescott had, quote, the best day of practice that I've ever (laughs) seen since he's been a Dallas Cowboy. Uh, We'll find out because Jerry Jones is going to be talking about this on Hard Knocks this entire offseason. So we're going to have plenty of information with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Going over to the other injuries, Amari Cooper, he's on the pup list. This is the most scary injury to me because it's kind of lingering, and he's still, quote-unquote, working through that ankle injury. But we have good news on Blake Jarwin. He was practicing day one of training camp. We have good news on Zeke Elliott. He's down 10 pounds. He's the lightest he's been since, like, junior year in uh, college. And then you had... The most important news here, Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, Zach Martin, all avoided pup list. This is why we think the Cowboys can compete for the most points in 2021. Obviously a tiny sample last season, just about four games when Dak Prescott was the overall quarterback one. I mean, this offense was on an absolute tear, but they, I think, lost more games than they won during that span of time. You know, small samples are dangerous because a couple of years ago, it was a Detroit Lions with Matthew Stafford. That was a small sample that kind of a lot of people bought into last offseason. I would say that this Cowboys team is much orchestrated differently than maybe that Lions team. And it's, you know, individual pieces and even a collective that we can believe in more often than that. So I'm absolutely buying it. And there is a chance somehow that still getting Dak Prescott as the quarterback five, you know, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup, excuse me, Amari Cooper being drafted in the same area. And you can get it on Michael Gallup and Blake Jarwin a little bit later on and feel really good about those stacks. And they're still very, very affordable out there on underdog. Cool. Okay. Yep. We'll move on. There we go. Uh, New York Jet Giants. Um, with the New York Giants, how will the Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones relationship continue to play out? I mean, in 14 games last season, Hayden, Daniel Jones produced 12 total touchdowns. I will repeat, 14 games last season, Daniel Jones produced 12 total touchdowns to go along with 10 interceptions and 11 fumbles. I mean, that's Jared Goff rookie season level stuff. Um, We saw Dak Prescott explode last season without Jason Garrett even on the Cowboys coaching staff. So this team now with an extra first round draft pick in their pocket for the 2022 NFL draft, it truly, truly is a make or break season to go along with the weapons that they added for Daniel Jones for their quote unquote quarterback of the future and a play caller quote unquote extraordinaire. They kind of built their roster like the Dolphins. The defense is really good. They added skill guys this offseason, but that does not hide the fact that their offensive line is going to be really bad as well. And that's where you get the, the problems with Daniel Jones is he panics when he's under pressure. So the yeah. offensive line is a big concern here. And then for fantasy purposes, there was already basically nobody in fantasy last year that was worth starting. Now you complicate things with adding Kadarius Tony and Kenny Galladay. You get Saquon Barkley back. You added Kyle Rudolph to compete with Evan Ingram. You still have Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard around. There's a lot of bodies there for a team that has not been a productive fantasy offense. So it's, it makes things really complicated for basically all of them. I feel like it goes one of two ways. Either Daniel Jones and this team hits extreme value with him going as quarterback 23, or it hits like possible rock bottom. Uh, I don't really see it going around where they are being selected right now because that would also be uh, quite bad. Let's put it that way. That would be bad. Uh, Moving on to Philly, we have, can Devonta Smith's presence hide the offense's weaknesses? 
So last year, Jalen Hurts averaged 6.9 yards per attempt in his starts. That includes an 81-yard touchdown on a missed broken tackle against the Cowboys. That includes some of the splits that we're talking about is against the Cardinals and the Cowboys. The Eagles ran all these plays. I think that I'm kind of worried about the sample when you're trying to extrapolate uh, Jalen Hurts' season over 17 games. The other problems is the offensive line. Their three best offensive linemen are 30 years old. They're all coming off major injuries. Jalen Rager is a question mark still. Travis Fulgham's a question mark. And then you can just go to the coaching staff. Nick Sirianni is a first-time head coach. He's never called plays before. Their OC, Shane Staken from the, the Chargers, he's been a full-time OC for one year. So we're talking about one of the most or the least experienced offenses in the league. The one saving grace here is I think that Devonta Smith's an absolute baller. I thought his tape was awesome. Obviously, his production was off the charts. I think that he can elevate this team to a certain extent, but there's a lot of stink in this Eagles uh, offense right now. I'll throw out their defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, JG. I worked with him in the St. Louis Rams scouting department when I was there just 10 years ago. He was their Blesto scout. He was their national scout. He wasn't even a coach at that time. So it really shows how much of a trajectory all these coaches can go on if you have a few solid seasons with some really good coaching staffs that you're attached to. Uh, One final point. I think it's so obvious that the Eagles are not locked in on Jalen Hurts, period. And he's going to have to completely blow them away for them not to be mentioned in these whispers of quarterbacks that they might make a move on during the season or after this year, and namely Deshaun Watson. And is it enough that's put around him in this moment for him to succeed in that system? That is an unanswerable question because I, I think that this is an organization that always aims for the ceiling in terms of what they have at that moment. Obviously, it was Sam Bradford to Carson Wentz. Back then, it was Don McNabb to Michael Vick. Like They're always shooting for the stars, and it wouldn't shock me at all if Jalen Hurts is just a one-year starter at the position. So I think when we do a fantasy rankings during the season, Jalen Hurts will always be a top 10 fantasy quarterback when he is in the games. There's just some other uncertainty about are the Eagles going to end up tanking? Are they going to trade for Deshaun Watson if his stuff can get settled before the season starts? There's a lot of moving parts here, especially when they have all of this ammo. No team has more ammo than the Philadelphia Eagles to make a big move here. So that's something to watch uh, with Deshaun Watson. And that's not by accident. That is a plan. It is not by accident. Washington football team here to close out the NFC West. Um, Look, the football universe is saying that Ryan Fitzpatrick is a huge improvement off of what this team had at quarterback last season. It is, but is it enough? Is it enough? Even with the top talent on defense and adding the likes of, you know, Jamin Davis and Kendall Fuller, it is very difficult for like a top defensive unit to be a top three unit again, year over year. That, that, might not be as sticky. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick, yes, we love him when he comes to these games. He's exciting. He's kind of like Philip Rivers in some ways, where he just doesn't give a bleep and will just throw the football down the field. But Hayden, in these last few years, in 2017, he started seven games. In 2018, he started seven games. In 2020, he started seven games. We're going to ask him to start 17 games right now, despite what that play had indicated for him to send the bench in those others. Oh, hell yeah, we are. It's not the Jets anymore. <laughs> it's not the, the Dolphins without the, all the scrub receivers that they had last year because of all the injuries. I think that Fitzpatrick's in a pretty good spot. I think that the the coaching staff over there is kind of underrated, especially on the, on the offensive side. They have playmakers now. I mean, you're talking about two running backs that are uh, have some capabilities in, 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 the, in the passing game. You added Curtis Samuel. We think that Terry McLaurin's a baller. Logan Thomas is decent enough as a receiving option from tight end. So 
They added uh, your boy, Adam Humphreys. They added my boy, Diami Brown. So I think that the yes, offense is, is ready to go. I think that Washington belongs as the favorite in the uh, wow. NFC East. Hmm. They're good. I think they're good. I, I'm, I'm not worried about the stickiness of their defense. When you have that many playmakers at all three levels, I'll be buying on that. Closing question, then you can take it or you don't have to answer it. What's the combination of Ryan Fitzpatrick plus one of possibly the worst offensive lines in the NFL? Because Washington also has that on paper. Just throwing that out there. Remember that one pass that he had where he's getting absolutely litty? One pass. Same thing as drops. Don't let one one pass infiltrate your brain because we're going to see 40 plays of that for 17 games for next season. I think it's a little – it's one of those where everyone is so all in that – being able to take a step back and be like, is this really going to change the face of this offense? Just a question. Go ahead. Cincinnati Bengals. Will they hide Joe Burrow more coming off his ACL MCL tear? Does that mean fewer scrambles? Does that mean a more balanced attack? We already just saw this morning. The the Bengals are not going to be playing Joe Burrow in, in the preseason. They want to save him for week one. They do not want to expose him. What happens if that happens in September? We saw that Joe Burrow Averaged 40 pass attempts per game in his 10 starts. In the four games without Mixon, when Burrow was out there, they had a 66% neutral pass rate. When Mixon was healthy, that dropped down to 56% with Joe Burrow. So I'm wondering if we're going to see Joe Burrow not scramble as much. They want to protect him a little bit more. Maybe they don't pass the ball as much as they did last year. Maybe it's more Joe Mixon time, and you're not going to get the Bengals in top three, top five pass attempts. Obviously, the Bengals are still going to pass the ball a ton. I'm just not convinced that's going to be number one or number two the Bengals are playing for the future here Joe Burrow is coming off a major knee injury I'm kind of feeling that they're going to be at least for the first month or two kind of tapping the brakes with them a little bit yeah my concern is when you're down by five to ten points in the fourth quarter you're going to have to pass and I think that that's just where the Bengals find themselves in especially in their own division they're being treated like the AFC version of Dallas and I just can't get there I can't get there, Hayden, with this team. I really love Joe Burrow, but part of the reason we love Joe Burrow so much heading into last year is because he had that like mysterious rushing capabilities that was kind of hidden at LSU because of how much disruption and, and sacks he had to take to take away from his rushing total. Um, I love Jamar Chase, but is he in that tier of like num- top five overall wide receivers in terms of draft picks? I don't know about that. Love Tyler Boyd's a slot, but he's certainly not CeeDee Lamb there. I guess what I'm saying is – I understand why everyone is buying because we saw it hit last year in the small sample with Dallas. I just cannot put them in the same tier with the Bengals and the Cowboys. Yeah, you're putting a lot of pressure on Jamar Chase to be an absolute baller. I think he is an absolute baller, but he's, what, top 25 in fantasy receivers? I don't think we've ever seen a rookie wide receiver being drafted that high. Cleveland Browns. The Browns finally took that huge step last season after having two number one overall picks in a very small time period. So how can they take the next big step? I mean, they were number nine in offensive DVOA last season. That included the number 10 passing attack. Think about that with the names they had throwing out there in Donovan Peoples-Jones and Jarvis Landry and a few others. And they had the number seven overall uh, rushing offense, which makes sense with how great their offensive line gelled immediately, why Teller becoming a star along the offensive line, and Kevin Stefanski allowing Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to be their versions of who they are, which is amazing to me, Hayden, because it usually takes you know head coaches multiple years to instill the identity of their teams, and Kevin Stefanski was able to do it in a year. And all these other excuses that these other regimes like John Gruden and Mike Mayock give off year after year, guess what? If you're good, if you're Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, you can do that immediately. 
it's the front office. It's like the, the Browns are just a totally different team. It's really cool to see. I'm a big believer in Stefanski. I'm a bo- huge believer in their offensive line. I can see the Browns passing the ball a little bit more. There was a couple of games last year where it was really terrible weather conditions that you get Odell Beckham back. It's another year in the system and they got to kind of see if, if Baker Mayfield's the dude. So I wonder if they're going to give a little more onto Baker Mayfield's plate. This could be one of those like really top five, top 10 offenses this year. Everything is basically everybody returns. It's like, it's like yeah. the bucks on offense. Everybody returns. Their defense should be a little bit better. The, the Browns are legit. Yeah, and the way to change is, is that defensive side of the ball because you have Miles Garrett, you have Jadavion Clowney, you have Tack McKinley, actually, yeah, as, as your number three rusher. Um, you even bring Malik Jackson in as someone who can disrupt the interior. You obviously add so many versatile playmakers and Greg Newsom and and JOK. And then that element of Odell Beckham, who for years we thought is the most talented wide receiver in the NFL, who has been absent for an entire year. What does he bring extra to this offense? I'm I still have like top eight quarterback questions with Baker Mayfield. Um, That is something that I don't know if he's ever going to reach. And like the top teams in the NFL have a quarterback that can reach that area. Um, But again, it might not matter just because like the ecosystem they have created around him. I can see like, we always see like one in pocket passing quarterback have like an eight yard or an 8% touchdown rate. Like I can totally see like Baker Mayfield being that guy this year. All right, moving on to the Steelers. Does Najee Harris's presence change how the passing game is orchestrated? Because last year, the Steelers' run game was these little passes to Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster. We, they didn't really upgrade their offensive line at all, but I think that the, the coaching staff and the organization in general is viewing Najee Harris as that answer. We can debate that, but regardless of that, I think that the Steelers are going to be more balanced. That means less pass attempts. I also think that's going to be mean less pass attempts near the line of scrimmage. I think this is good news for Chase Claypool. I think that they're going to throw the ball downfield more often. And we, I was reading these quotes about Big Ben. He said, at this time last year, I had thrown thousands of footballs trying to be ready for the season. Thursday was the first day I threw a football since minicamp. It feels like a more normal offseason. I just think physically I'll feel better in terms of my arm. Maybe we get Big Ben not coming off of like Tommy John surgery where he can throw the ball a little more downfield. I'm expecting more balance here. I think like how the offense is is scripted out, you're going to see less underneath passes and more of an intermediate game this year. I did a show with you, Hayden, last year where we tried to predict the Steelers on a weekly basis, and it felt impossible, even when they were winning 11 straight games to open the season. So how the hell am I supposed to predict who they're going to be this offseason when we saw what happened to the quarterback? They drafted a first-round running back, and they added nothing to the offensive line. No idea what to think of this team. And because of that, Hayden, I think how I'm addressing the Steelers is I'm banking on who I think are elite talents. And to me, the most elite talent on that offense, while the opportunity might not match it with other players, the most elite talent on the offense is Chase Claypool. I totally agree. And he didn't even play on like 12 personnel packages. There's like a room for growth for Chase Claypool and his playing time. There was like a, this weird rotation where I'm not expecting for Chase Claypool. I always see this narrative like Chase Claypool is like, not good enough to beat man coverage. He was top 10 in, in yards per out run versus man coverage last year. He's just so explosive that even if he's inconsistent, when he has some separation, it is lights out. So I'm with you with Chase Claypool over the other guys. I think just the way the offense is moving, more deep shots, probably a more balanced game. They're not going to have to throw these little dump offs. That's what Najee Harris is for. That's probably going to add a couple more targets to Chase Clay, Claypool, like 15 yards down the field rather than these like four-yard drag routes. For the Baltimore Ravens, what is the path 
to being a dominant force once again for 17 games. Now that you're actually facing better competition than you did in your own division during that 2019 season when you were the dominant force in the NFL. I mean, they were 11th in total uh, DVOA for offense last year, 17th in the passing game. So what did they do? They had two first-round picks this year, and they prioritized the wide receiver over defense, which is really, I think, important for this Ravens team as an identity. And it's not just any wide receiver. It was, let's say, Rashad Bateman over an Elijah Moore. It was someone with a little more size, someone who has obviously that outside-inside versatility. So immediately that prioritization of that position and the style makes me think, Hayden, one, we know that Lamar has to just be better in terms of clean pocket situations. That's where the major drop-off was. And you can do that with you know Ronnie Stanley coming back and picking up uh, uh, Kevin Zeitler. But Rashad Bateman can be the key to this passing game as well. He replaces Miles Boykin and Des Bryant, who were unable to se- separate last year. And it also is helps Marquise Brown, because Marquise Brown is likely going to be more efficient because he's not going to be tasked with being the number one receiver within 10 yards of the line line of scrimmage. Obviously, Marquise Brown is most dominant when he's running all these vertical shots. Rashad Bateman, I can see him leading the team in targets this year. I think that he was that good within 10, 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. He's the big body guy next to Mark Andrews, and Sammy Watkins is there to kind of mess around as a third guy. So I think it's great news for Lamar Jackson. I also think it's pretty good news for Marquise Brown. I think that uh, the Ravens passing game is going to bounce back here. All right. Let's close out this top 16 with the NFC North. Go ahead. The Chicago Bears. Do the quarterback upgrades unlock the ceilings of Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney? Last year, the Bears were 27th in yards per play and 27th in net yards per pass attempt. You look at Allen Robinson, he's only averaging six touchdowns per season with the Bears. Last year, he was the wide receiver 12, but he was the wide receiver six in fantasy usage uh, last season. If the quarterback play is better, there's a chance that Allen Robinson could go up into like the top eight, top seven wide receivers. And then Darnell Mooney is obviously the biggest beneficiary potentially here. A flashy route runner plus athleticism. The, uh, Nagy used him in bunch formations, the screen game, but he can also win vertically. If Andy Dalton is better than Mitchell Trubisky down the field, or if Justin Fields is better, which we, I'm very positive, Justin Fields can be better than Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Darnell Mooney could be like a wide receiver three. Allen Robinson could also be like a top six, top seven fantasy receiver. And we haven't seen that in a long time. The Anthony Miller trade did nothing for Darnell Mooney's role, but I think it does shine a brighter light on what this organization thinks for the public to Darnell Mooney. We had Kevin Fishbane on the show last week and he preached that. And that was even before uh, that news. I mean, look, Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy, their butts are on fire. Like, They got to win finally. I mean, this Chicago Bears organization just gives them patience even when they don't deserve it. So while they keep saying right now Andy Dalton is our starter, that can't happen for 17 games unless you somehow start winning football games with Andy Dalton. So I don't know when it's going to be, but Hayden, it would be shocking to me if we get to, I don't know, week 11 and – Andy Dalton is still the starter over Justin Fields because we just know what the ceiling is. And Andy Dalton, he wasn't even good for Chicago last year with all the pass catchers that they had. That was a disastrous offensive line. But even if it's just a combination where Dalton starts eight games, Fields starts nine games, I think that Dalton is a better passer than Mitchell Trubisky was, especially downfield. Darnell Mooney, only 30% of his uh, 15-yard targets 
were caught last year. And most yeah. of that was because the ball was going into the stands. So I think that Andy Dalton could even be an upgrade as a purely as a passer over Trubisky. And then you have this massive ceiling with Justin Fields. So I don't even care which one's starting. I think that you're getting better quarterback play, period. And that's good news for Allen Robinson and Donald. All right. Detroit Lions, before we get to the uh, Green Bay Packers, here we go with Detroit. Who will be relevant on this team? Period, Hayden. It, it's absolutely a fair question because their part-time possible running back is being drafted as running back 16 right now in underdog. The top tight end is being drafted as tight end six, and he's the most obvious target getter for the team. They're both top 63 selections. Um, and also what's fascinating to me, Hayden, is – how this coaching staff is constructed because it's so clear to me that when you have a head coach that you despise, you pick from someone who's like the opposite in the spectrum. And that's what Dan Campbell is. And what has he done? Just brought a whole bunch of former players on for his coaching staff too. in Deuce Staley and Mark Brunel, who cried over Deflategate on on ESPN. You have Antoine Randall You have Aaron Glenn, who's going to be defensive coordinator I'll be pleasant. I can keep going on and on and on. So this group of former coaches are going to get along with the players, and that is the goal. But again, how is this going to play out with someone at Jared Goff who is attached to a head uh, offense coordinator in Anthony Lynn, which is a major downgrade versus what we saw last offseason? The one potential saving grace, and like this is like really nitpicking, is the the line should be pretty good. And I think that it's going to be like kind of like a smash mouth team, try to grit it out in, in year one of this total rebuild. I think that TJ Hawkinson's the guy that like he has the massive potential as like 120, 130, 140 targets. And I think that's swift. When you see these like running backs that get like 90 uh, targets in a season, it's because like the wide receivers are really bad. And that's exactly what the Lions have. So I think those two are the ones that have a, a have a some type of ceiling, even though this offense is going to be really bad. Between the two, give me Hawkinson way over DeAndre Swift. I think that Hawkinson has this like Darren Waller type of season in his range of outcomes, uh, even though the offense is really bad. We agree to disagree. And while recording the show, the Green Bay Packers, this tweet from Ian Rappaport, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has indicated to people close to him that he does plan to play for Green Bay this season. Sources say that is the expectation. Many factors at play, but with GM Brian Gunakun saying he is, quote, hopeful for a positive outcome, there is a glimmer of optimism. Hayden, last week, it was the time to buy at their best value all of these Green Bay Packers. Everyone out there in underdog has been drafting scared. They've been allowing Aaron Rodgers to go as the quarterback 13. Uh, Aaron Jones to be drafted as the running back 13. Devontae Adams to be drafted as the wide receiver 5. That is now ridiculous, and that all is going to change. Devontae Adams is a first-round pick now. I I always had Devontae Adams as my wide receiver one or wide receiver two. I kept going back between him and Tyreek Hill. This is a lesson on leverage, guys. The NFL has all the leverage. These owners, the way that the CBA is constructed, if a team has him under a contract, good luck getting out of there, point blank, period. Aaron Rodgers basically would have had to retire, and if he did that, he would be risking like losing $30 million dollars per season like give me a break like he's not losing 30 million dollars so we'll see what happens they might like change his contract where Aaron Rodgers can get out of there next season but I think that Aaron Rodgers coming back was 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 the most likely situation and I think that now we're already getting up to what 50 percent of the best ball mania teams have already been drafted the Packers that was a team to be going after in all these stacks Devontae Adams 
he he immediately goes like in like the top five, top six overall discussion because we, yep. we already went through these running backs. There's like four of them that we feel good about. And then there's like, we kind of feel a little riskier for first round picks. Devontae Adams, I mean, just went nuclear last year. I think that he's going to be like pushing top seven overall, even in half PPR. Yeah, you and I did some rankings updates. We're going to have a full draft guide for free, all of you. Hopefully in the coming weeks, you'll see that a lot here on this channel and on Twitter. To me, there are five running backs that are clearly at the top before tight ends and wide receivers. But once you get that Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill territory, then you can start mentioning Devonta Adams. And then almost immediately after that, right next to Austin Eckler around Saquon Barkley is Aaron Jones too. Uh, I, I moved both of those players way up. In, in my initial rankings. And Hayden, we have now closed the door on a period where you could easily, easily stack Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers. I know this is in place of the question that you were going to ask, but is there anything else left to ask about this team? To me, I guess it's what do they do with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers' contract? Because I think what they do is just add a void year on top of it and just say, hey, if it's either us or with someone else, you're basically going to be able to pick who you want to play with in 2022. That's kind of like what happened with Tom Brady. I think that's that's the precedent. That's what Aaron Rodgers was looking for, just some freedom, some control over the situation after this year. I always thought that he knew he couldn't go anywhere. I think that the draft day was the time where the Packers, if they wanted to do it, they had three first-round picks on the table. They could have got a Trey Lance. They could have gone in a bunch of different directions on draft day when the Packers told them no, that was, that was when I was convinced that uh, Aaron Rodgers most likely going to come back here. So uh, remember the leverage, the, when the players want to leave very rarely could they actually leave. It's like very rare instances. Aaron Rodgers is, is no exception there. We'll close out the first half and then take a little bit of a break with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, if the defense improves, Hayden, is this a dark horse NFC candidate? I know that Kirk Cousins gets a ton of crap and it's deservedly so because he's consistently kind of scattered in that he can have three games with less than 200 passing yards last week, then lead the NFL in the next three games in passing yards. But we know that Dalvin cook is arguably the most natural runner in the NFL. We know that that's the anchor of their team. And maybe they are also a team who knows how these pieces gel together, but improve their offensive line. Justin Jefferson set rookie records and Adam Thielen's a great second receiver, if Mike Zimmer can work a little bit of magic and, you know, have young players step up and not have, you know, Harrison Smith and, and Patrick Pearson be totally over the cliff, along with two great linebackers and Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, just get them to like league average. I think this is a possible NFC contender here with the Minnesota Vikings. The Packers front seven on defense is way better. They added so many defensive linemen uh, this offseason, and I'm with you. The offensive line is really good, too. So this is like one of the first years where the Vikings have both sides of the ball, the trenches ironed out, and then when you hit the jackpot with Justin Jefferson, there is a, a pretty big big ceiling here. I know that Kirk Cousins is like very inconsistent. And he gets a lot of crap, but he's really accurate, and when he has two receivers that can get open with separation at the rate that Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen do – there is definitely a ceiling to chase here. I think that the Vikings are going to be probably a team that will be penciling in as like a wild card team, especially as the NFL continues to add wild card teams to the playoffs. That's 16 teams, Hayden, in 36 minutes. Not I'll bad. Take it. I'll Not take bad, it. especially with some breaking news mixed in in there as well. I will absolutely take that. All right. We're going to hit the next 16 teams in just a moment. Always want to remind you that one, if you like this show, you can take it with you. 
on audio platforms as well. It's on every podcast platform out there. Just search the Underdog Football Show. We need all of you right now that are watching to smash the like button. Some rando before we even got started, hit the the dislike button. We need everyone to cancel that out. Subscribe uh, again. We have so much content here in the next month, all geared to you being entertained and winning more money. Whether that's on Best Ball, on Underdog, in your home leagues, maybe some preseason pick 'em, so on and so forth. So hopefully you're enjoying it. And join us for the ride as well. And if you want a free 25 bucks, if you're a new user on Underdog, just use promo code the show. It's the best way to plan for your one home league that you care most about. Adam, thank you for smashing and subscribing down below. All right, Hayden, final 16. And we start off with the Tennessee Titans. Make sure to smash the like button if you want Josh to figure out his lighting situation on the stream right here. That's 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 what you need to smash the like button for. All right, the Tennessee Titans. Will the Titans pass more after trading for Julio Jones? Last year, they were 30th in neutral pass rate, all the way down at 42%. But when you move the offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, going down to Todd Downing, you have Derrick Henry, who has 827 touches, including the playoffs, over the last two seasons. You add Julio Jones, a true difference maker, definitely a tier or two above Corey Davis last year. I'm wondering if the Titans are going to go a little more pass heavy. They're paying Ryan Tannehill all this money. You can't ride Derrick Henry forever. So I wonder if we're going to see uh, Ryan Tannehill maybe go from like quarterback 12 to like quarterback eight or something if the Titans slightly change their identity. Obviously, they're going to be one of the most powerful teams in the league. But if they just go throw the ball 5 10% more, that's that would be huge for Ryan Tannehill and company. Everyone in our football bubble had questions about the Titans – Heading into this season, Hayden, and it kind of makes sense when you look at, you know, their defense, you're really depending on Caleb Farley and, and Janoris Jenkins as your starting cornerbacks. They obviously had missed out on some free agent signings last year, um, but then they trade for Julio Jones and everyone forgets. Everyone immediately forgets and has no more questions anymore. Is that fair? Well, for fantasy purposes, I think it's totally fair for like the Titans on their actual defense. It's going to be pretty bad, I think, again this year, but for for fantasy purposes, I mean, who's coming off the bus and looking more intimidating than Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown? Uh, that's It doesn't get any scarier than that. I, I will say, sleeper, if the Titans do pass the ball a little bit more, I think Anthony Ferkser is the guy. He was the slot guy last year. I don't anticipate him coming off the field too often. I know it's not the sexiest name out there, but I think that the Ferk daddy could be a tight end, too, if the Titans pass the ball a little bit more. Indianapolis Colts, does Frank Reich have that magic touch? I mean, what... The Colts did this offseason. I think it went under the radar a little bit how much of a risk it was um, because they're ready to win now. Like, this is their window to win when you have like a lot of these young, talented offensive linemen and running backs and, and wide receivers on, on rookie deals. You trade for DeForest Buckner, who is in the prime of his career right now. So rather than go and try to like attack and find a quarterback that's at like the top of this game. They went and got a quarterback who is at the bottom of his game, who like has never been worse than he is right now. And it's all because they believe that the offensive line plus Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines plus Michael Pittman plus Frank Reich is going to be enough to change the career of Carson Wentz. And that is an incredible question to have heading into, again, a time where the Colts should be on paper in the window to win for this organization. 
I think they're probably looking at this saying there's less on Carson Wentz's plate because the division is bad, especially the defenses in the, in this division are bad. The offensive line is way better than what Carson Wentz has been dealing with with the last couple of years. And then the three wide receivers plus the tight ends, plus Jonathan Taylor, plus Naeem Hines out of the backfield, they're just way more weapons than what Carson Wentz had in the last couple of seasons as well. So I think there's some reason for optimism. I think that you can throw away those crazy years uh, of Carson Wentz early on. That was when everything was clicking and a lot of those stats were pretty unstable. But I wouldn't be surprised if Carson Wentz bounces back and he's like the quarterback 20 and uh, he does enough for Michael Pittman to break out or something like that. I think that it was a risky move, but what else were the, the Colts going to do here? They could have done a number of things. They possibly could have traded up to get one of these rookie quarterbacks if they really believed in them. They just they prioritized Carson Wentz. That's what he did. And I don't know after looking at last offseason, or excuse me, last season, how anyone can think like that was – like if he and Frank Reich never worked together, I don't think they have made this move, period. Right, but I think that there's some something to it where Carson Wentz had some big seasons here. And the, just the environment just way better. And I think that the big thing for Carson Wentz is like you're playing the Texans a couple times a year, the Jaguars a couple times a year. We just talked about the, the Titans defense. Like things get a lot easier in, in that type of environment. And Yeah, and his negatives were compounded just by how bad the Philadelphia offensive line was because we know that his feet get stuck in cement and he tries to play hero ball. And so like yep. if the Colts can kind of figure out their left tackle situation, we know the other four pieces are well above uh, starting quality too so so that can absolutely help moving on to the jaguars are lavisca chenault and travis Etienne both low a dot passing options so this is more of just a pure fantasy question but last year you had dj chark averaging 14 yards in average depth of target downfield threat only marvin jones with who was attached to the, the same offense coordinator here 12.7 a dot then you go down to lavisca chenault who had a 6.2 a dot and that was reflective of what he was in college when he was a wildcat option screen game option. And they were just using his athleticism for an after the catch threat. What I'm a little nervous about is Bevel is going to view uh, Travis Etienne as like this, like Deandre Swift, let James Robinson be Adrian Peterson from last year, use a rotation. And then all of a sudden Swift and LaVisca Chenault are both competing for screen game touches and quick little slants. That would be the, the disaster situation here. So we're looking at Travis Etienne, he says he's learning the playbook in two positions. How true is that? We have to look at the preseason to see if Etienne's lining up in the backfield or the slot or what, what his role is here. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to allow for that to happen because what Urban keeps talking about is speed, speed, speed. And that's why they thought about Kadarius Tony, and that's why they went and got Travis Etienne is because that he going back to his days in college with recruiting, all he wants is juice on the field and explosiveness. It did stand out to me, though, Hayden, and I haven't played Madden in years and do not plan on it. But in the rookie rankings reveal, Madden had Travis Etienne listed as a wide receiver. That is really interesting. I mean, everything about the Jaguars is on my radar. Like every single decision Urban Meyer has made has been like absolutely ridiculous. And he was like mad that he didn't have like the freedom that he had in the college. Urban, this is the pros, bud. Like you don't have control. These are grown grown men with that are being paid millions of dollars. Like they don't, they're not going to listen to you as as much as these like 18 year olds at Ohio state. So uh, the Jaguars, like one of the mo more interesting teams, this can go in totally two different directions. It's crazy. Trevor Lawrence, who we've all been penciling in as a for sure franchise quarterback. We don't even talk to him because everything else, it seems like it's chaos in Jaguar uh, in Jacksonville right now. Going as the quarterback 15, Trevor Lawrence is after Trey Lance, after a few other names. Uh, I, I, that's kind of a sweet spot for me with, with Trevor Lawrence and drafts right now is as quarterback 15. All right. Well, we go from maybe some optimism with the Jaguars 
to whatever the Houston Texans are right now. Hayden, could this be the lowest scoring offense in recent memory? Uh, in 2020, the Jets averaged 15.2 points. And then my question is, who was usable? Well, Jamison Crowder had five usable weeks. And by that, I mean he had five weeks of over double-digit points for the entire season. Uh, Washington in 2019, a little bit better, 16.6 points they averaged for that entire season. Terry McLaurin had six double-digit fantasy games. Arizona, 14 points in 2018. The Browns, 14.6 points in 2017. I think it's extremely possible that the Houston Texans average in like the 13s this year. And because of that, Brandon Cooks might have four usable weeks, five this season of double-digit fantasy points. Hayden, if people are drafting Brandon Cooks, they're spending a top 100 pick on Marquez Valdez-Scantling, period. Jesus, Josh. I mean, my gosh. I'm way more optimistic on Brandon Cooks. Uh, the Jameson Crowder stat was awesome, but Jameson Crowder didn't play that much last year. And he was like a top 30, top 35 guy in half PPR per game scoring last year. So that's kind of the upside case with the Brandon Cooks. And I think that Brandon Cooks is probably better than Jameson Crowder here. So um, as long as the the Texans, I mean, there's also the like possibility that the, the Texans trade Deshaun Watson for somebody and turns this team around a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to like tout the Texans or Brandon Cooks too often. So I should probably stop talking here. I, I feel a lot of people are touting Brandon Cooks though. And again, it just doesn't make like attached to, and our predictions can be wrong. Look, maybe they're like, not the lowest, but the third lowest. Maybe the Texans just a little bit better. And by the way, for giveaway gauntlets, a question I've always wanted to ask is, who is the Texans head coach? Because I'm assuming, what what would you say? Over under 76% of NFL fans do not know David Culley's name. Yeah. And I mean, this entire offseason, we've been talking about how broken the Baltimore Ravens passing game was last year. He was the passing game coordinator for the Ravens last year. How did he get promoted? This is crazy to me. No, but but a great idea to take Brandon Cooks in top 100. Definitely a great idea. And look, especially if you're in season-long leagues, good luck predicting those four, five, or six double-digit weeks. In best ball, it's a little bit better. But again, you can just draft Marquez Valdez-Scantling at pick like 150 and get three or four usable weeks out of him as well. Rant over. Let's go to the NFC South, Hayden. All right, the Atlanta Falcons. Does the offense look like the Tennessee offense from last year or the Shanahan offense from 2016? They're pretty similar. Arthur Smith obviously comes from the Shanahan tree. Uh, you look at last year, the Titans were uh, second in 12 personnel. Obviously, we can expect that to, ha- to happen with the Falcons this year when you have Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts. Obviously, you're also getting all this play action. When Matt Ryan won the MVP, he led the league in play action with Shanahan. We saw that uh, Arthur Smith was number two in play action rate. So you, all these things are coming together. I would just say, which piece goes to where? Is 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 Mike Davis like the Devonta Freemans of those MVP seasons where he's uh, like a top 10, top 15 back because the offense is clicking? Does Calvin really turn into Julio Jones as his like 17 uh, yards per, per reception downfield threat off of all this play action stuff? And then is Kyle Pitts going to be used as a pure wide receiver? Everyone kind of talks to him as, as if he's like Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith had a 6.1 A dot last year. He was a yards after the catch only guy. Kyle Pitts last year had a 13.8 yeah. A dot last year as a true wide receiver. So I'm going to be just kind of interesting to see where the pieces go because I don't think that the offense is going to be exactly what the Titans did last year. I'm wondering if it's going to look more like the Shanahan in 2016 offense. And that's good news for Matt Ryan because he excelled in that type of scheme uh, a couple seasons ago. Yeah, oftentimes – Offensive coordinators who get hired as head coaches just do the exact same thing because 
that's what got them there. That goes for any job and any career out there. Like you just do what you're comfortable with. But I think Arthur Smith is someone who is smart enough to change the ways based on, you know, the style of playmakers that he has. We'll say, and it makes sense when a record is set, history is set for the earliest uh, tight end pick of all time. Lots of eggs are put in the basket already from the Falcons, from us looking the outside of just what Kyle Pitts can do in year one. What if it is a bit slow, Hayden? What if it does take them a little bit of time and they only have really one playmaker on that team in Calvin Ridley, which is great. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, a jump from the 26th best red zone touchdown rate in the Falcons up to even somewhere in the top 10, which is kind of underselling what Arthur Smith did in the Titans could be a massive jump for everyone involved in the Falcons offense. I totally agree. When I was posing this question, it was kind of like, I'm really optimistic just because Matt Ryan's done this before in this exact offense. That's when he was playing his best football. And I think that Calvin Ridley could play this kind of like Julio Jones type of role. And I think that Kyle Pitts is going to be like basically the second wide receiver here. I'm extremely optimistic on Kyle Pitts here. I think he's going to play on the slot and out wide way more than Johnny Smith did. He's going to be used like a legit wide receiver. And I think that last year, Kyle Pitts' tape plus his athleticism, I think he's good enough to be like viewed as like the Falcons' number two wide receiver, not even tight end, like number two wide receiver. And Russell Gage is a little more talented than I gave him credit for in the past. I went back and watched a bunch of his targets, and he's a little more better and skillful than I expected. All right, New Orleans Saints. We saw what happened last week with Michael Thomas. He was going to be out eight to 12 weeks, potentially once a season, even kicks off. So this easily allows me to ask this question. Is this Sean Payton's 2020 Bill Belichick moment? Um Look, the last four seasons with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and everyone else, 11 and 5, 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 12 and 4. Hayden, it's not going to be that this year. It just can't be. I, I think the defense has gotten worse because they've missed a little bit of pieces, especially at the cornerback position. And the more I think about it, like if Jameis struggles, which even with Tampa, he struggled to generate wins and consistency because he was high variance. That was with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Granted, he's behind a possibly the best offensive line right now. The more I think about it, though, if he does struggle, the more I could see Sean Payton just say to hell with it. I'm going to try to manufacture production with Taysom Hill, and hopefully he takes a step in the passing game as well and and just try to work my coaching magic with a Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara dynamic in the backfield. That is what I'm nervous about, too. And I think we have to talk about Michael Thomas a little bit. There's a couple more updates where he basically delayed his surgery to until June for no reason. Like the doctors knew that this was kind of a problem. And what makes his ankle injury different is it's to the inside of his ankle. Not like most of the ankle injuries we're used to a high ankle sprain is the outside of the ankle. When you do damage to your inside, that's one of the strongest ligaments. That's what the doctors are telling me in the body. When you tear that, that's a big deal. And like, there's like stability issues. So I'm going to be lower on Michael Thomas. That also makes me lower on Jameis Winston. I was very optimistic that Jameis Winston was Sean Payton. There to be some coordination here. But when you remove Michael Thomas from the situation, that's where I get more with you, where I think that Taysom Hill is going to have to be involved because they're going to have to manufacture some wins. I'm with you with that. When you don't have your top wide receiver out there, arguably a top 10 player at the position in the NFL, no other true pass catchers proven in the NFL. A coach during the week is going to rely on himself. And you can do that more probably in Sean Payton's brain, who has a soft spot for Taysom Hill plus Alvin Kamara than with Jameis Winston throwing it willy-nilly out there to absolutely no one that can make a play for him. So. Does Chris Hogan being brought in for a tra- for, for a trial, does that change your, your perspective <laughs> on them? Let's move on over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
do the Bucks keep passing as much as they did late in the year? So from the point Antonio Brown played, which was week nine, the Bucks were fifth in neutral pass rate. Tom Brady went on an absolute tear after the week 12 bye, including the playoffs. He averaged 22.6 fantasy points per game. That would have been quarterback seven. He was averaging 292 passing yards per game. Those, in, that's, those samples include road games in the playoffs, road games in the playoffs. And he was doing this. And then if you just look at like what the, the wide receivers were doing, Mike Evans would have been the wide receiver 14 with the splits with Antonio Brown. Chris Godwin would, would have been the wide receiver 23. Antonio Brown quietly, he averaged 10.8 half PPR points per game. That would have made him the wide receiver 33. So I think that the Bucks, when especially when you add OJ Howard, you add Giovanni Bernard, I can see the Bucks being top five, top 10 in neutral pass rates. And I can see Tom Brady averaging like 300 yards again. Like we can throw out all the precedents with the quarterback age. Last year, we saw the Bucks at their best when they were just throwing the ball all over the field. I don't see why that would change here. It's wherever Tom is, is most comfortable. During his final year in New England, Hayden, correct me if I'm wrong, they were top one or two in neutral pass rate in the NFL. That, that can easily happen again when you mention the Godwins, the Evans, the Antonio Browns, the Scotty Millers, the Rob Gronkowskis, the O.J. Howards, and heck, you even thrown a Giovanni Bernard now. And part of this, Hayden, to me, is because Leonard Fournette is a replaceable talent, no matter what he showed in the short time frame of the NFL playoffs. And Ronald Jones is just adequate at best and a limited football player. So if Tom goes out there and says, we are best with the ball in my hands, diagnosing what the coverage is pre-snap and post-snap, we're going to do that behind this really good offensive line. And that is absolutely an avenue to victory, as we've seen last year. And Everyone is back, and it can be another avenue to victory again this year. So when we're looking at small samples, and this is like the dangers of it, but I think that there's reasons to pick this sample as, as the, the one to use because Bruce Arians and Tom Brady were kind of fighting over what the offense was going to look like early on. You also had these like Chris Godwin finger injuries. All that stuff was happening earlier on in the season. Then everybody was playing down the stretch with Antonio Brown in the offense, it seemed like Tom Brady and Bruce Arians were on the same page down the stretch. So if you return everybody, why would you change what was working in, in the playoffs and down the stretch when the Bucs were clearly the best team in the NFL? So I think that the Bucs, Tom Brady's probably going to average like 300 passing yards, which is nuts. But I think that's like actually going to happen again. Yep. Go and draft Tom Brady, who is being drafted after Joe Burrow. Uh, absolutely bananas to me. Bananas. And don't give me playoff Lenny. I don't want to hear about Ronald Jones. There is a chance that Giovanni Bernard is just the best running back in his backfield. Uh, Fun fact, whoever wins Best Ball Mania 2 is going to make more money than Giovanni Bernard this year. So go enter promo code of the show. Go make more money than Giovanni Bernard this year. uh, The Carolina Panthers. This is less of a question and more of a comment. Hayden, uh, if Joe Brady can turn Sam Darnold into a top 15 quarterback that the Panthers want to build around, it will be the best coaching job in the NFL. Sam Darnold is broken. He seemingly always has been broken. He's never been fixed. Um, And even the highlights, if you go back and watch those on YouTube, they're awful. Uh, He's just not a good football player. I don't care if you want to blame Adam Gase or blame the Jets. I blame Sam Darnold and just his erratic, chaotic style because we always talk about it with quarterbacks, that everything is in rhythm. It's smooth. It looks so pretty inside and outside of the flow of the offense. With Sam, his – Toes are pointing in opposite directions along with his shoulder, and then his arm and the trajectory of the pass is going in another direction. Nothing is in unison. So with all those negatives said, it can still be a productive offense, though, Hayden, because this team last year, they were 0-8 in opportunities to 
go and tie or win the game in the final score in the final drive of the contest. So even improving in half of those, you know, regressing to the mean, if someone wants to call that, uh, that would be a huge improvement for this team. It's a skill, guys. When you have Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, we think that Terrace Marshall has a chance, and we already have Sam Darnold connections with with Robbie Anderson. I think that Sam Darnold is going to be Sam Darnold's best best season. I think that there are huge mechanical issues. And going back to his USC days, he was awesome at USC, but you had so many of those instances where his feet are just aimed at the sidelines oh, yeah. and then he's throwing it. And that has not changed. Uh, so I think the big thing is, could the Panthers just protect him a little bit more? I'm I'm very convinced that Joe Brady's way better than Adam Gaze. I know the skill guys are way better. So I think that Sam Darnold's kind of an interesting fantasy player because Teddy Bridgewater is like the quarterback 21 per game last year. I think there's a chance that Sam Darnold certainly has a higher ceiling than Teddy Bridgewater, especially with all the pieces there. I think there's like a chance that Sam Darnold, even if he's not good for the Panthers, he's still like a quarterback two in fantasy. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I'm still drafting all of these Panthers, right? Like, to me, they're great values. I love DJ Moore and his ceiling. Robbie Anderson, to me, is my biggest must-have of the year uh, because even with, as you mentioned at Teddy last year, they still had four 1,000 yards from scrimmage players last season. I just think in terms of a team-building structure, if they turn Sam into someone to build around, that is a tremendous coaching job because he can still be productive despite being bad. Let's put I mean, that way. The, the Panthers have to be in the Deshaun Watson running, right? Like that maybe next offseason. They were. They're going to be in the Aaron Rodgers running. We'll leave it at that. Okay. We'll leave it at that. All right. Two more divisions. We go over to the AFC West. Starting with the Broncos, which young skill guys are actually legit? They have Noah Fant. They have Jerry Judy. They have Cortland Sutton, Javante Williams. That's not even including KJ Hamler and Albert O and some of these other guys because there's not enough room in this offense for all of them to be fantasy guys. They were 28th in scoring last year, 26th in passing yards, 25th in passing touchdowns. So only one of these, two of these guys are going to be relevant in fantasy every single week. And it's just kind of hard to pick which one's going to, it's going to be because Jerry Judy needs to work on his timing. Uh, Cortland Sutton is coming off an ACL injury. We know that Noah Fant could be a baller, but is there enough room for a tight end to emerge in this offense? So uh, that's the tough part is, we like all these skill guys, but not all these skill guys are going to matter if, if uh, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater are the quarterbacks. And with Aaron Rodgers coming back, like it's almost positive that it's just going to be those two guys. Yeah, at least one is going to be extremely overdrafted. And it might be Noah Fant. It might be Corton Sutton. It might be Jerry Judy. It might be Javante Williams. It, there, there's a whole bunch of names to pick from. And I even go back to like what Mike Silver wrote like after draft weekend that like the front office is just banking on Teddy Bridgewater being the starter here. I think Drew Locke has to look unbelievable to claim the starting job. And if not, we know what Teddy is and sure he has a history with Pat Shermer, but he's viewed as this like consistent guy that can get the ball to his pass catchers, how the coach wants him to that is overselling Teddy because he'll make mistakes. He lacks, you know, a, a top end arm. And yeah, I, I'm with you. It in some ways, Hayden, it might be like the negative version of the Steelers of last year. That's not even like as fun and as electric because you have all these great players on the field. And then we're just going to have a really tough time on a weekly basis predicting on which one's going to have a great week. That's a good comp because the, the Steelers defense was top five and there's a good chance that the Broncos are top five. After being 25th in scoring on defense last year, you return a lot of guys up front uh, at linebacker, you add some guys in the secondary as well. So I wonder if the Broncos are going to tick down their pace as well. This could be like a very s- sloppy team that goes nine and 
eight this year because they're a good roster, but the quarterback situation is just going to be very tough when you have all these skilled guys competing for what could be a bottom five, bottom 10 uh, scoring offense. It's just, it's just going to be hard to track. All right. We are well behind the clock. Let's keep it going with the Kansas City Chiefs. Can their new offensive line gel immediately? So many new pieces here. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe, Creed Humphrey, Kyle Long, LDT as back. And if it does gel, what is the trickle down? Because we saw it was the major weakness in the Super Bowl, despite the heroics that Patrick Mahomes tried to put on that team. And hey, we talk about it all the time. When you're winning, you're also rushing at the end of games because you're up by a lot in the clock. And the Chiefs are so good at doing that. But they were league average in rushing yards per game last season. That That is so low in comparison to the other quote-unquote great teams, the teams that are winning football games in terms of their opponents. Uh, and quickly, they did chase Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency. Didn't get him, didn't get anyone in the draft. So I wonder if they're still like in their eyes one playmaker away somehow. I think they're viewing the lack of depth at the wide receiver group as just Clyde Edwards, it's time to go, bud, because you're getting 300-plus touches. And I can see Clyde Edwards having a huge fantasy season the power rushing is going to be the biggest difference between last year's Chiefs team and this year's Chiefs team. They couldn't run the ball on the goal line. That's why you trade for Orlando Brown. You get Tooney. You drafted this, this really powerful uh, center prospect this year, too. So I can see Clyde Edwards being more effective at the goal line. I could also see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire kind of taking over, not Sammy Watkins because they don't play the same position, but being that, that third option in the passing game. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is that second-round pick that we could look back and be like, why weren't we drafting the Chiefs running back uh, with a top 15 pick? Like, So I'm kind of circling him. I want to be optimistic on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. There may or may not be a YouTube video about five or six minutes long exactly on this topic on our YouTube feed. Go back and uh, listen to that one. Look, 60, 70 receptions is in the realm of possibility here for CEH. Uh, they had no screen game last year. Robert Mays brought this up on our show with him because they just couldn't trust their offensive line to be in rhythm, to be in unison with those. Guess who has a history of being one of the best screen like schemers in the NFL? And it's it's Andy Reid. Just think of all the years with Brian Westbrook. Good luck, CEH. Let's have some fun. Let's roll during this year, too, when everyone else is down on you because they drafted you at 106. And now you can explode and maybe be a top 10 fantasy scoring running back at the end of the season. Speaking of bust last year, let's go to the Raiders. Who is going to be the number one receiver on the team? Obviously, they lose Nelson Aguilar, wide receiver 36 and half PPR per game last year. The options are Henry Ruggs, who was basically only a, a downfield decoy last year. I think that there's some reasons for optimism in year two. You get Henry Ruggs, who's not going to be battling that injury. You're getting Henry Ruggs with the preseason. And I think that John Brown and Brian Edwards are not going to be as good as what Nelson Aguilar was last year. So I think that you're going to get Henry Ruggs more involved underneath in the screen game. And I think that's the chance for Henry Ruggs to be the number one receiver. But going into training camp, the 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 thing to watch is John Brown versus Brian Edwards. The Raiders only gave John Brown $3.75 million this year. Uh, and Brian Edwards was the 81st overall pick last year. They're battling. And then you have Hen uh, Hunter Renfro in the slot. But this ultimately just comes down to you don't spend a top 15 pick on, on a decoy. This is the chance for Henry Ruggs to emerge as the number one receiver. I don't know if Derek Carr can play any better than he did last year. Um, I, I'm i someone that's never going to like love Derek Carr as a player, but even I can say, like, hey, pretty accurate last year and made some really good throws. Definitely. Um, 
But because of that, Hayden, I mean, they were ninth in pass DVOA, 24th in rushing DVOA. And despite potentially having like the ceiling hit for where the system and the players combine and merge, they were league average in offense last season. What you're going to have to have to happen if like they're going to take that next step this year is for the defense to be great. And I don't see how that's going to be the case either. So I think the Raiders maybe this was the team I was referencing with Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry earlier on that they immediately turn the team around and have this view and identity. And the Raiders were here in what, like year four of the, the John Gruden experiment, year three of it. And I, I have no more confidence in them turning things around as I did in year one. And the team president just retired out of nowhere. Like the running backs coach just retired. So there's like a lot of moving parts. There was like rumors that Mike Mayock might get fired. So there's just like, it's chaos in Vegas. Like, what what else would you be expecting? Okay, let's close out the AFC West with such a fun team in the Los Angeles Chargers. Offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, what is he going to add to the best young quarterback in the NFL? And this is actually Justin Herbert's fifth offensive coordinator in five years. Stunning when you think about it. Um, what do we know about Joe Lombardi? Just a tiny bit of research. In 2014, he was the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions. That season, actually, they went 11-5. and five, But somehow Matthew Stafford threw 22 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 45 sacks. The backfield was a dynamic duo of Joyke Bell and Reggie Bush. Remember those days, Hayden? At wide receiver, it was Calvin freaking Johnson at Golden Tate. They had five fourth-quarter comebacks last season. Um, since then, Joe Lombardi has been working alongside Sean Payton. I'm sure he's picked up some things along the way. And Brandon Staley has said, we want to give the keys, the keys of this offense to Justin Herbert and let him dish and go out from there. We know that last year, no one faced more pressure and no one was better against pressure than Justin Herbert during his first year in the NFL. And I can't wait to see what he does in clean pocket situations. That's the key is it's not going to be under pressure nearly as often because you draft, uh, Slater with the first pick, you bring in Bakhtiari, or not Bakhtiari, uh, Corey Lindsley. I mean, the offensive line just going to be way better, and that's the, the big difference for for Justin Herbert. And that's why I think that Mike Williams could be a value here. I think mean, Austin Eckler has a chance to be, speaking of Joe Lombardi connections, Alvin Kamara. And I think the big difference between Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara is Lombardi was willing to give Alvin Kamara goal line touches. Austin Eckler, that could be the difference between Austin Eckler finishing as the RB10 this year or the RB4. Um, and I kind of want to bet on the upside of Austin Eckler all of a sudden getting some goal line touches. Um, have you seen some of these pictures of Austin Eckler? He's absolutely ginormous. Uh, so I think they can handle the goal line touches if they want to give it to him. Especially when you consider they have tr- like no true second player uh, in that backfield. Like they tried to make it Joshua Kelly. And in that metric that you posted, Joshua Kelly was like the worst in the NFL in terms of his vision and, and hitting the hole. Um, then you draft like Larry Roundtree late. He's going to have to have a great preseason in order to have the responsibility. Um, it, to your point, I think it just makes sense because you can just trust. You can trust Austin Eckler in that backfield, and you can't do that with anyone else. And those are like high-value touches, and you need your best players on the field in that area, and that is absolutely Austin Eckler. All right. When is, when is the last time a UCLA Bruin has been fantasy relevant? Like, get out of here with the Joshua Kelly. Give me give me Larry Roundtree as the RB2 for, if you're shooting for upside in, like, the 18th round here. It's a good question. Going, going on to the Rams, who Sean benefits? Foster. I don't even know who that is. 
Who benefits most from a threatening intermediate and deep passing attack for the Rams? Obviously, we know more play actions coming. We know that Matthew Stafford likes to throw the ball uh, more downfield than Jared Goff ever did. If you look back into 2018, that's when Goff had his highest career dot season. In that year, Robert Woods had a 10.5 ADOT. Cooper Cup had 8.3 ADOT. Those were career highs with the Rams for those two things. So I think that Robert Woods can go from like a 6.7 ADOT all the way up to the closer to the 10s. That's how you unlock this like wide receiver one ceiling, especially if the Cam Akers news makes the Rams want to pass the ball a little bit more. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, we already know that they're super high floor players because the wide receiver three is kind of in flux. But there's also like wide receiver one outcomes. And I think that we always just view Cooper Cup and Robert Woods as like low, low uh, ceiling wide receiver twos. I don't think so anymore. I think that Jared Goff going from, from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford unlocks like top 10 fantasy ceilings for a guy like Robert Woods. Love that. You know, we already had that part of the offseason calendar when people kind of caught up to how big of a jump it's going to be from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford. And then other people came out and saying, well, now you're overrating Matthew Stafford. Uh, Stafford doesn't have to be anything different than he already has been to be one of the top three, top five producers at the position. I mean, Jared Goff in 2018 was sixth in the NFL in touchdown passes, fourth in yards. 2019, he was third in yards. Matthew Stafford is an, on another tier of quarterback play inside of structure, outside of structure, activating everyone on the field. So what we're just getting on the field already is, is a better quarterback in an offense that we have known to prop up middling talents at best at the position. Give me Matthew Stafford being the 12th best quarterback in the NFL this year and put that with Sean McVay. And like all of a sudden you have like top five, yep. top six, top seven passing numbers this year. So uh, I like the Rams stacks as well. Um, if you were, you can't draft the, the Packers stack anymore, go pivot over to the Rams. Arizona Cardinals. Can the Cardinals catch the Rams, the 49ers, and the Seattle Seahawks? Because they've certainly tried to make the moves that they believe can overtake that gap. Uh, Newsflash, I don't think they can. Uh, A.J. Green, Rondale Moore, especially Moore for more explosiveness. You know, Rodney Hudson to anchor the offensive line and maybe solve even as play callers questionable blocking schemes. Uh, J.J. Watt was added, uh, and they're going to keep Chandler Jones despite him reportedly wanting a trade it's the second straight year. They drafted a first round running back and really the fourth in the last eight years. They're not though Hayden complete in every area. Like they still have some major, major flaws, especially at that cornerback position. But again, they're kind of looking for those like one or two or three missing pieces. And a lot of them are 29, 30 plus years old. And I just am a little concerned that they're approaching the season in the wrong way. This is their all-in season, which is kind of weird to think about because we don't view the Cardinals as like contenders. But this is like the this the season for Cliff Kingsbury and all them to figure it out. I think you're going to see more ten personnel because they actually have the wide receiver depth to pull that off. I think that means that Christian Kirk is going to play some more snaps in the slot. We're going to see Rondale Moore as explosive Larry Fitzgerald role, and then maybe we get DeAndre uh, Hopkins to move around the 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 formation a little bit. That would be kind of helpful here, so it's not so stagnant. Um, so we'll see. It, it's an exciting team. There's promise on offense. I'm still very concerned with the cornerback group. And I think that's going to be the ultimate difference maker between the Cardinals upside versus like the 49ers upside. Yeah, they spent 20% of their snaps and 10 personnel for wide receiver sets last year. Uh, the only other team over 5% were the Buffalo Bills at uh, at 15%. I mean, Kyler Murray 
is just extreme deodorant for what Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime are doing right now. Because we've seen Cliff and his mismanagement of, again, blocking schemes and just using DeAndre Hopkins to one side of the field. Steve Kime took Andy Isabella over DK Metcalf. I mean, a whole bunch of slew of other decisions that he's made, and including other decisions that have been questionable. Um, just how much longer? And I think, again, I think Kyler is good enough to continue to be that deodorant for them. But I think if these pieces that they add this year aren't the the cherry on top of whatever cake they're trying to construct, it's going to shine even more of a light in how that team is run on the back end. Yeah, and good luck in this division. You have to have your, your stuff figured out here. I mean, we'll For talk sure. about the – Let's move on to the 49ers here. Can Trey Lance be a good enough pocket passer as an inexperienced 21-year-old to win the job early? I'm very confident Trey Lance is a great fit in this offense. Obviously, is basically what he was running at North Dakota State. We love Trey Lance, the person. We love the intangibles. We love his arm strength, like ridiculous arm strength. It's just, is he going to be good enough with experience to kind of hit the short game right away from Jimmy G? Um, obviously training camp is going to be a huge, huge uh, thing for us to watch here because the, the, what's so interesting is the 49ers offense is just going to look a lot different depending on which quarterback. Like you're getting legit QB power with Trey Lance. You're not getting that with Jimmy G. So I think that Trey Lance can run this offense if they want to go to him. We'll just have to see if Kyle Shanahan is willing to go to an inexperienced 21-year-old right away. We had Vish Kumaran on the show last week. There's also a YouTube video, a clip out there of that if you want to check it out. Um, Trey Lance is going to make the biggest difference in the red zone inside the 10-yard line because other than his time with the Atlanta Falcons and his time with RG3, uh, Kyle Shanahan has been like in the bottom 10 or 12 in terms of red zone touchdown rate. And Trey Lance with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Trey Sermon and Raheem Mostert and even George Kittle will probably be able to unlock a lot of those four-point plays in the inside the the 10 yard area. Yeah. I mean, Hayden, we go through these narratives a lot and the same can be said with the Chicago bears and, and Justin Fields of, well, we enter training camp and preseason that, well, you know, the number one, the number two, the number three, whatever pick are working behind this veteran starter. And then you get to week one and, you know, the Eagles have traded away Sam Bradford for Carson Wentz. And then, Cam doesn't look at it all in preseason games and is named the starter in week one over Jimmy Clausen. It's going to happen sooner than later with all these. And I just think that we're finding ourselves in a much different preseason this year versus last year because preseason games and training camp practices are so much more meaningful for these early guys to make an impact early on versus the 2020 season. What's so different about just this situation in particular is like most third overall picks are going to start like a ton of games right away. But Jimmy G has been so good in the system. There's like some precedent. Plus you're dealing with, you're dealing with, I mean, just look at it as like, I mean, it's not a quarterback stat, but their wins, they've gone to the Super Bowl. I think that Shanahan knows that they can win with Jimmy G. And you're also dealing with a division two quarterback. He didn't play last year. There's a lot of compounding things that make this like totally interesting. Trey Lance is certainly good enough to win this job week one. I do not think that's a lock. Um, and that makes like best ball, like super interesting. Like, what are you supposed to do with all these 49ers? The big thing is like the schedule is so, so easy too. Uh, it whoever's the quarterback is going to have a good fantasy numbers and uh, we'll, we'll just have to find out. We don't have to make this antagonistic either, but I also believe that we're not having to get to like points anymore where like the starter has to play poorly for the rookie to replace him. Yes. Right. Like Jimmy could have a great first two weeks and then Kyle just looks at Trey, 
sees like he's processing things on a weekly basis much better in meetings and like has the game plan down pat. And he's like, okay, now you're going to be my starting week three, despite maybe Jimmy G starting with like eight touchdowns and two interceptions. That's extremely feasible to me too. Yeah, we saw that with kind of with Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was kind of surprising news. Like all of a sudden, randomly, Tua's in the game. And Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't a complete disaster going into those things. So, yeah, we'll see. It's It really comes down to, I totally agree, when Trey Lance is ready, Trey Lance is going to be the guy. Is Kyle Shanahan, like how ready does Trey Lance have to be? Because I think Trey Lance is already ready enough to go out there and compete. Is, is he looking for perfection? Is he looking to like try to win a Super Bowl ready? Or is he just looking, hey, well, let's try to start his clock early and go see what he has. I think he's looking for that special sauce a little bit too, because Jimmy doesn't offer that. Cause yeah, you can get to the Super Bowl with arguably the best roster and best play caller in the NFL. But then when your quarterback can't win you that game in those pivotal moments too, then that leaves just a sour taste in your mouth for the rest of your career. Cause it was right there. And Jimmy just couldn't make the play starting the first quarter of that game. All right. We'll close this exercise with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Have we already seen the best of the Pete Carroll and Russell was Russell Wilson window. Um, have we seen the best from this tandem in their history, which would be, I know I'm like saying something negative here, but I, it's extremely possible based on like where this roster is right now. Like who do you feel good about when you look at the Seattle team, you feel good about Russell Wilson, even though it was like a tale of two halves for him last year, but he's going to give you entertainment. He, he's going to give you some fun and chaotic moments. You obviously believe in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as being one of the best wide receiver tandems. Speaking of tandems, Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner might be there among linebackers. And I feel good about Jamal Adams wrecking things near the line of scrimmage. But hey, that's like four pieces, six pieces, and that's it. I would give more credit to their defensive line. There's a lot more depth there than there was in the past. And maybe their offensive line is a little bit better. Like we're dealing with some really disastrous offensive lines. I don't think the Seahawks are going to be like a bottom five offensive line this year. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, the the secondary is, the I think, the biggest concern. That has always been the such a huge strength for the Seahawks. So that's kind of like the one thing to watch. If you're looking at just which positions, I would say the cornerback group is probably the one I have the most concerns with. And obviously a new offense coordinator in Shane Waldron. Again, it was basically like two different OCs last year in terms of how they scaled everything back after really going for it earlier on. Um, and we know Shane Waldron has worked with Sean McVay. So on some level, if you're going to put in the simplest form, like three of these four teams are running very similar offenses. And you have to bank on one to like break that and create something on his own. We know Russ loves that, but he also might not want to play inside of the system as much as the others, especially over the middle of the field because they give them fits in terms of not attacking that uh, middle field area as much as other teams do. so Well, when you can throw the ball up to DK Metcalf, it kind of hides some of that stuff too. It's true. Okay, we did it, Hayden. A uh, little bit over an hour. We're not going to think about it. Um, I was battling the light this entire time. It was decided to be the sunniest day ever in the northeast area of our beloved country. Uh, everyone out there, thank you so much for being here. Before you leave, like this video smash the subscribe button. We'll be back here tomorrow with some live drafts. We'll be back here on Wednesday with Matt Harmon of Reception Perception telling us what exactly wins the NFL, picking out some of his favorites who's going to break out this year, and some guys that Hayden is just completely, completely out on for no reason. And Harmon and him are going to have some good discussions on that. All right, everyone. This has been great. Really appreciate you. Up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya. 